Welcome, everybody. It's another, another great show tonight. The Hollywood Godfather Podcast with my co-writer and co-host, Pat Piccarelli. Hi, everybody. And the brains of everything and the executive producer of so many titles she carries, Megan (laughs) Haran. Yes. How are we doing, guys? We're doing great. Well, I'm excited because I met this man. I knew him for years of him because of Atlantic City and Philadelphia Mob and you name them, they all knew him. Little Nicky, Buffalino, everybody knew this guy. <laughs> they could love him and hate him. But I will let our friend, who lived, they live in the same state, introduce you. <laughs> Pat, would you do the honors, please? Certainly. Uh, we are honored and privileged tonight to have with us a very prolific an excellent uh, writer who uh, uh, I have a uh, connection with, and so do you guys, through Mike Russell, who we had on the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mr. George Anastasia. Welcome, George. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Nice to talk to all of you. All right. Well, great. Well, I uh, had the can... pleasure of meeting him personally last Wednesday. We did a pilot called the Wise Guy Roundtable for Fox. <laughs> It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, but uh, George, now that we're not there, who was that other guy, a Columbo hit guy? Was he a joke or what? Larry Mazza. I know, but. Larry Mazza was uh, close to Greg Scarpa, apparently, during that Columbo war. Oh, I knew that. He was dating his wife. (laughs) How crazy was that? (laughs) When he was 18. Megan, this guy was 18. And he, and he was Scarpa's wife's lover. Yeah. Oh, man. I think I had a death wish. Well, it continues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he says he and Gregory Scarpa kind of reached an arrangement, right? Isn't that what he hmm. said? That they, they worked something out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, guess Scarpa, I guess Scarpa was happy that he took his wife off his hands, <laughs> lest he would be dead. <laughs> I think that was part of it, yeah. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. So what was this event that you were both at? We were we were at a, a, we did a shot of pilot called Wise Guy Roundtable for Fox Network. Yeah. Oh, and, very nice. Oh no, the four of us were at that last week. It was about the fiftieth anniversary of the Godfather movie. That was the hook. Yeah. I see. So Makes we were sense. all there talking about that. Now one fellow had written a book, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, uh, about the movie. Oh yes. Yeah, Mark has been right? on our show. He's a good guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we had him on the show. Right. So, and he's written about me for right. the 25th anniversary. <laughs> and we, I just saw today that we got the cover of Life magazine again. Brando's on the cover again 52 years later. It's amazing. So, uh, George, uh, uh, for uh, some of our audience who has been living under the proverbial rock, uh, t- tell us about your uh, career. Well, I was a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer for almost 40 years. And uh, in 1976, the Inquirer sent me to Atlantic City to cover the casino gambling referendum. 
And and back then, the, you know, part of the question was, uh, is legalized gaming, uh, they never called it gambling, they called it gaming, is legalized gaming going to bring the mob to Atlantic City? Well, the answer was the mob already was in Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down there covering the, the openings of, I guess I was there for the openings of the first six casinos. And I started writing about organized crime as well. And then in, in, uh, Johnny, in, in 1980, there was the infamous hit on Angelo Bruno, the longtime mob boss of Philadelphia. Yeah. And that sent everything careening out of control. And I kind of segued from Atlantic City to doing more and more mob stuff. And that's just the way. Well, yeah, I, I, I remember running to Philadelphia myself as, as you know, um, my association with Mr. Costello. <laughs> They were definitely hooked at the at the hip as far as the Gambinos and you know the Genovese family. They were they I were mean, back in Philadelphia to run everything for them. Yeah, bro, I mean Bruno was the boss from 1959 to 1980, and it was a relatively peaceful time. I mean, it's not to say people didn't get, didn't get whacked, but for Bruno, you know, murder was a, a last resort. And then what came after him, Nicky Scarfo, murder became a calling card. Oh, I know the whole dynamic of of the Philadelphia mob. He's and still doing very that, well, though. Yeah, well, and then you had casino gambling, which exploded, and you know there was a lot, there was a lot in play back then, and I was fortunate to, to be on the ground covering all of it, so it worked yeah. out pretty well. I was an well, opening. I'm going the list of books, George, and you're a very, very busy guy. Well, uh, you know what? I had two daughters I had to put through college. There you so, go. Oh, <laughs> That'll do it. I hear you. University. Yeah, Rutgers <laughs> University got all the money. Yeah, I got a kid in the med school. Uh, I, I'm oh, there now. Yeah. Uh, how many books have you written? Six, six or seven. Wait, I think there was. There's five books about the mob, two anthologies about the mob, and then two books that are uh, true crime but not not mob related about infamous murders down here. So, so you specialize uh, mostly in uh, Philadelphia and uh, Scarfield. Right. The, the last mob book I wrote was called Gotti's Rules, which was about John Gotti and John Gotti Jr., told through the eyes of John A. Light. But all the other books were Philadelphia based. Yeah. Uh, how, how did Scarfo take that? Well, you know, by the time I wrote by the time I wrote the first book, Scarfo was already in jail. I mean, the first book I wrote came out in 1990. Scarfo would be convicted. Um, Scarfo, you know, Scarfo tolerated me. I mean, he, he wouldn't say much. But he he was, didn't tolerate many people, George. Well, I mean, you know, I wasn't—I wasn't in his <laughs> the news, world. news and police people. He did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we we, we kind of came with the territory, but you know, he may not have liked us, but he wouldn't, you know, he just accepted the fact that this was part of what it was. Scarfo was a lot of ways a psychopath. I mean, the yeah. guy was, the guy was terribly violent. The guy had, I think, a Napoleon complex, you know, because he had, he was short, and and he had been banished to Atlantic City in the 60s when, you know, he was the mob's caretaker when there was nothing to take care of. Right. And he very fortunately ended up right place, right time. Bruno gets killed. Phil Testa takes over. Testa's kind of Scarfo's mentor, and he brings Scarfo in as the consigliere. And then after Testa gets killed, Scarfo makes a very bold move, runs up to New York. He's got connections with Bobby Mann and the Genovese family, and he comes back and he's the boss. And from 81 to 89, he, he was the boss based in Atlantic City, but the boss of Philadelphia. Very, very bloody period. A lot of murders. And I was out there on the street covering it. So, I mean, from my perspective as a writer, it was great. And the other thing that was great for me as a writer is the Philadelphia crime family has probably been recorded more than any other family in America. 
either yeah. from, from fire, the wiretaps, room bugs, or guys wearing body wires. So, you know, you, you, you appreciate this, but when you're a writer, where do you, where do you get your dialogue when you're writing true crime? Well, yeah. I had dialogue because I had all these transcripts. These guys were always talking when, you know, talking to the mic kind of thing. It was amazing. So it was a pretty good run. Yeah, Scoffer's uh, solution to everything was uh, whack him. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was his a reaction. A, a problem, boom, they got to go. And that's why that's why two of his, his principal guys, Nikki Caramondi and Tommy Del Giorno, that's why they flipped. They got jammed up, and they knew there was nowhere to go. The state police had bugged Tommy Del Giorno's apartment in Ocean City for two years, two summers, and they started playing him the tape. And a, and a state police detective said he starts rubbing his chest because he realizes on the tape he's he's bad mouth and scarf. I would say three Irish oh. guys from Northeast Philly could run the mob better than this guy. So Tommy Dell knows he's got a problem and he flips. Nick Caramondi got jammed up in an extortion. He thought he had a problem. He flipped. So Caramondi and Del Giorno became the two principal witnesses in that big racketeering case that brought Scarfo and I think 16, 17 guys down. And that so was the, way, the beginning of the end for the Philadelphia. Uh, so the, the way Scoffle uh, ran his uh, ran his mob, he was like his own worst enemy. He was like John Gotti, so to speak, only in a different state. You know, that's a very good point, and I and I think I make that point in one of the books. Scarfo was Gotti before Gotti was Gotti, but Scarfo <laughs> didn't have the New York stage to play on, so he didn't have the notoriety that, that Gotti got. But there was the same kind of mentality. Somebody in who the hell was it? One of the Gambino guys told me, you know, with Gotti, it's supposed to be our thing. When he took over, it was my his thing. thing. Oh, yeah. 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 That was the difference. Yeah. Did, didn't anybody try to rein him in? Pardon me? Didn't anybody try to rein him in? Gotti. Yeah, well, the, chin, the chin wanted the one of the pop. Oh, yeah. Chin, mean, chin did. Cazzo yeah. uh, uh, also. They all tried. Yeah, the Casey guys, too. I mean, they, they were, I think it was past reining him in. I think they wanted to take him out. Yeah, they right. wanted to just kill him. That's how. Never, that's how. Uh, what's the name? Got killed. Frankie Boy DeChico by accident. Yeah. yeah. He went out to the car to get some, and he. I think he borrowed John's coat, and they remotely blew him up a block yeah. away. And, yeah, they had a bomb planted there. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I was referring to uh, to a Scarfo. I mean, he, he didn't anybody try to uh, do something about this guy? No. By that point, you know, one thing people don't realize is. Philadelphia family is not that big. I mean, at, at its best, it's maybe got 60, 70 members. That's and it. The Bruno era. And then when Scarfo took over, probably 40 or 50 guys. And he, he, it was fear and intimidation. There was no, there were no old heads to say, hey, this is not the way to do it. You know what I mean? So it, it, it just went downhill. And I think one guy out of Chicago took a lesson from all of that. It's Tony Spilatro. Here's another guy that destroyed a city. Well, you know that, I mean, that you, you, you look at that and it's, I think what happened was that this is like second, first, second generation Italian American guys. Right. They don't, they don't get it. They, but you know, the mafia is supposed to be a way of life, a secret society. It's a secret it's society. society. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We often uh, brought that up in our book. Uh, uh, Gotti wasn't aware that it was a secret society and apparently uh, either was uh, Scalfo. Right, look at me, I'm a gangster. What's the point of being a gangster if nobody knows who you are? Well, Bruno would have said it's great, nobody knows me. They don't need exactly. I just keep counting my money and go about my business. Hello. Yeah. So was he involved, uh, was the scoff involved anyway in uh, uh, Angelo Bruno's killing? No, he benefited from it, but no, he wasn't involved. I mean, it, it was, 
Bruno was killed by his consigliere, Tony Bananas Caponegro, who was based in Newark. Yeah, there's that famous picture of uh, him uh, in the car. Bruno in the car, yeah. It was on a, a Friday night in, in South Philly. But yeah. Bruno was one of these guys. We had, we talked about this in, in the other show, Gianni, about no drugs. You're Bruno right. said, don't deal drugs. And it wasn't, and, and it's same thing with uh, Castellano and, and, and Giganti. It wasn't because they were morally opposed to drugs. It was they had more money than they needed, and they didn't want the aggravation that came with getting involved in that drug underworld. And the attention, the IRS and everybody come down on you. Right, yeah, yes, exactly. So now Bruno's saying no drugs, and Caponegro's dealing heroin on the side. And then here was the irony. And people, you know, it's just almost inside baseball. In 1979, a, a, a nightclub opened in Cherry Hill called Valentino's. It was owned by Rosario and Giuseppe Gambino and Giovanni Gambino. They had come over from Sicily. They were cousins of Carlo Gambino. I knew them well. Yeah, they become part of the infamous pizza connection thing. And Bruno's letting them set up shop in Cherry Hill. And they go, I think Bruno invited them for Easter dinner. And Gianni, you know, that's a great honor to go to the boss's house. And everybody in Bruno's organization said, if they're going to dinner, they're bringing an envelope. And that's drug money. And Bruno's telling us, don't deal drugs. But he's telling these guys, yeah, Cherry Hill, go ahead, set up shop and bring me money. So Caponegro basically decided to take Bruno out. And he got double-crossed by the, the Genovese. He went and he thought he had the okay from New York and he didn't. No, because Genovese had a piece of, of, of the Gambinos. We, I don't, I don't, I mean, it was, it's, it's, it's such double-cross, triple-cross. No. Uh, the money was so, too big. Yeah. Caponegro goes to New York thinking he's going to be crowned boss after Bruno's killed. And he's brutally tortured and killed. And, and his body is stuffed in, a, in the trunk of a car dumped in the Bronx and he's got $20 bills stuck up his ass. Like, you know, you got two, and in his mouth, you got too greedy. That, and that was the end of Caponegro. And Phil Testa becomes the boss and a year later, Phil Testa gets blown up and then Scarpa becomes the boss. It was a very, very, uh, it, it was a saga. You know, and I'm still waiting for Hollywood to say, hey, we, we got something here. But so far they don't understand Philadelphia. But Well, you know what it was about Philadelphia? I'm sorry, go ahead, Pat. Oh, so was he running the show from, uh, from jail, Scarpa? Scarfo tried to run. Scarfo, that's another interesting story. He tried to run once he got convicted in 88, 89. He was trying to run the family from jail. And he used his son, Nicky Jr., as proxy, as his proxy boss. Well, on Halloween night, 1989, at Dante and Luigi's restaurant in South Philadelphia, Scarfo Jr. is having dinner with two friends. He's having clams and spaghetti, I think it is. And a guy walks in with a trick-or-treat bag and a Halloween mask, walks up to the table, pulls out a, a, a nine millimeter machine pistol and shoots Scarfo Jr. six times. Now Scarfo Jr. survives that hit, but the guy who leaves throws the gun as he's leaving because he knows Scarfo Sr. loves the Godfather and he's kind of <laughs> emulating the scene where Michael oh, killed my yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like in your face, boom, you know, that kind of thing. It, 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 yeah, I'm telling you, it, covering the Philadelphia mob was like covering a soap opera. It was just, <laughs> it really was. And that was one example. So that was kind of the, the, the end of Scarfo, any control he had. And then he had a, then he had from prison, he, he connected with the Lucchese's and the Lucchese's took his son under, under their wing and brought him up to North Jersey. And June, Scarfo Jr. was up in North Jersey for a long time because he, Scarfo Sr. knew he had a problem. Where does uh, Skinny Joey Merlino come into this picture? <laughs> Skinny yeah. Joey is the suspect in that shooting. Nobody's ever been charged in the Scarfo 
opportunity to shoot. Skinny Joey has always been the suspect. He's been identified by informants as the guy. Uh, he, I talked to him about this once, and he said, it couldn't have been me because uh, <laughs> I, was on, I was on supervised release, and I wasn't allowed out after 7 o'clock at night. That's classic. I'll tell you, some, some of the, sometimes you worry the mentality when they just talk to you. Say, are you, is he kidding me or what? Is this a Joey? Well, these guys Joey, don't know they're funny. Joey's very shrewd. Joey knew exactly what he was saying. Joey yeah. was the guy. This same story, this storyline. From prison, there's phone conversations be, between Scarfo Jr. and Scarfo Sr. And Scarfo Sr. is livid about the hit. And he's telling his son, take that guy to dinner. In other words, do to him what he did to you. Right. And and report surfaces that Scarfo's put out uh, a $500,000 contract on Joey Molino's life. And one of the guys from Fox 29, the, the TV station down here, they they always, they're riding around South Philly. They see Joey, they go out with the camera and they put the camera on him and they say to Joey, Joey, what do you think about this $500,000 contract on your life? And he looks into the camera and he's got this way of talking out of the side of his mouth and says, you give me the half million dollars, I'll shoot myself. <laughs> Joey was not afraid of the media. Joey Joey appreciated the media. Joey was the, uh, our celebrity gangster, if you will. And he, he had a long run. And he's in and out of jail several times, but he's beaten a bunch of murder raps, never been convicted of a murder. And uh, right now he's down, I think he's living in Boca, now, down in Florida. Yeah, he's in Florida. I, I uh, spoke to Mike Russell a couple of weeks ago. For some Mike, reason, Mike, Mike has a fixation with, with Joey. He's well, always they're all down there. Yeah. He runs into him in, 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 in restaurants. He confronts him, you know, teases him, calls him gay all the time. Uh, Russell is uh, he's a character himself. Yes, he is. Yeah, and I, I would love to see the dynamic of he and Joey interacting because yeah, <laughs> he does it all the time. He tracks Joey him down. Can hold his own. Joey can hold his own verbally. Joey's the very shrewd guy. Sharp guy, I know, yeah. Yeah, interesting guy. So who's running the family now? Uh, supposedly, Joey's running it from Florida, and he's got a couple street bosses, but I think we're down to like 20, 25 guys, and I can probably name at least half of them. I shouldn't be able to do that. You know, you shouldn't yeah. know who these guys are. But there's, there's an indictment pending in Philly right now involving uh, drugs and uh, gambling and loan sharking. And it's built in part on an informant. And this is another Philadelphia phenomenon. This guy is a made guy, supposedly, wore a body wire to his own making ceremony. <laughs> You're laughing, but. What? It's hysterical. Determine, there's only been four making ceremonies secretly recorded. One was in Medford, Massachusetts, when they bugged the house in 89. I didn't think there was one in Canada in Montreal in 95. Two others were Philadelphia guys wearing body wires to their own making ceremony. <laughs> like George Fresalone and now this guy, Anthony Porciano. And so this current indictment uses a lot of tapes where these guys are jackpotting themselves, talking about their business and that kind of thing. It's so uh, amazing. Somebody should write a like, script about that. You can't, you can't, yeah, Johnny, you can't make this stuff up. Anymore. No, it's a lot better than a gang you couldn't shoot straight. Well, this is like the, this is like the, this is like the gang who couldn't think straight. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's that's it. Man. It's funny. And, uh, but what so what could they, what could they be earning on now? There's not that the population. What are they doing? That's drugs. I don't see. Well, see, that's the problem. I think there's money to be made in drugs, but there's it's it's there's a lot of risk. 
gambling, I think they've lost a lot of that because a lot of it's legal now. Yeah. Although, I mean, one guy told me, listen, the, the, the thing that we got going is you can bet with us on credit. Yeah. We pay, so, uh, we strain up on Monday. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then and then the corollary to that is loan sharking. A guy gets into you big and then you you give him shark. But you know, that's you true, you know, because OCB in New York closed down because the local bookies let you bet on credit. OCB, yeah, you had to have the money in your pocket. Yeah. There's no more OTB in New York? No, they closed it down. How long ago? Oh, about five years ago. More, maybe really? more. They couldn't make yeah. money. They took they, they had something. They knew it was a billion dollar business, but they didn't realize everybody's on the arm. Yeah. I mean, Not only, everything you you won was taxable. Uh, you, you, that's the other thing, yeah. You, yeah. you, you can't compete. Yeah. So that, that's why I think there's always going to be money to be made in gambling. But other than that, I mean, there isn't a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, drugs it's, is, it's is, crazy. I guess attractive because you can make a lot of money, but you run serious risks when you do that. And that's, oh, drugs, forget about it, especially now. Yeah. There's no tolerance for it. And, and for a good reason, I mean. Yeah, and in this particular case we're talking about that's pending in Philadelphia, they were, they were dealing opioids, fentanyl, uh, oh, pills, that kind of stuff. That's, I think that's the new trend now. Yeah, and it's cheap. Too much press. Yeah, that's Uh, so they aren't taken very seriously. I would assume, right? Yeah, I mean, you you know, you've got this one guy who taped his own making ceremony was also in meetings where they were talking about drug deals and setting stuff up. You know, and and it's and obviously he's getting a deal. It's the only reason he's talking. Yeah, right. And you know, I mean, I've covered enough of this to know you can attack a witness. You know, you you. Why should we believe you? You're you're this. You're that. Well, you can't cross-examine a tape. When you got a guy on tape saying, yeah, I deal drugs because that's the only way I know how to make money, where's he going to go with that tape? You know, he's buried. And and I see that again and again with these cases. Tapes are devastating. And and Philadelphia, as I said, Philadelphia is probably per capita. There's more recordings than any, any other mob family in America. And it was to my advantage because I had great, great dialogue. You know, it's, it's just that's amazing. Funny. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... It's 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 good to hear that they're on the way out. These people don't know what the hell they're doing. On the other hand, you lost your uh, topics, George. Well, yeah, I mean, well, now he's it, writing it, books. He's retired. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, if I was still, if I were still a reporter at the Inquirer, I mean, and the last two years I was at the Inquirer, I probably spent more time writing about the African American drug gangs than I did the Wise Guys, and then the organizations that are devastating the American cities. The drug underworld is just, it's terribly violent. Uh, oh, so my God, yeah. Still is. Hello. And it's very, it, it's almost disorganized, organized crime. It's in every man for himself or, you know, your family. If you're involved, your family's at risk. Everybody gets in play. It's, yeah. it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Now, I live in a, in a very small town area in southwestern Pennsylvania. The fentanyl crisis used to be the opioid crisis. But yeah. now the opioids are laced with fentanyl. I personally know of five people, even a, a police chief's son who was in his 40s OD'd and died. He, he, he thought he was taking uh, black market Valium. Yeah. There's fentanyl. That's, that's, what, that's what happens. I mean, you know, big farmers put this stuff out there way back and they said it's not addictive and then it's just, it, it's boom. It just, everything is out there now and everybody's oh. manufacturing it now. In this particular case I'm talking about in Philly, they were manufacturing it. There was Fentanyl and heroin combination in a blue pill. Oh, you know, they're Oof. cracking that stuff out. So, yeah. Nice. Wow. It could be you're killing, off, 
you're killing off your own customer base. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. That's wild. Yeah. What, so what, what, what is your most memorable story that you did that almost got you killed? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was unaware of the fact that when John Stafford became the mob boss in Philadelphia, Stafford was born and raised in Sicily. And he was a made guy in Sicily, came to America and became the boss in 1990. Now, I'm writing a lot about his organization. And it was kind of what you just said, the gang that couldn't shoot straight. This is a gang, a gang that couldn't think straight. They did a lot of crazy stuff. And I would always have to call. He had a food distribution center, Continental Foods. So if I'm writing a story, I got to call up and ask for I know he's not going to talk to me, but I call up. This is Anastasia with the inquiry. I want to talk to Stanford. Boom. And <laughs> now, after he gets indicted, um, one of the guys, a young guy that's indicted with him, and they get convicted. The guy decides to cooperate, and he calls me up. And I'm I'm at my office, and I get this collect phone call from prison. Will you accept? Yeah, I always accepted calls from from prison. And it's this guy Sergio Battaglia, and he says, I want I want to let you know, uh, I'm cooperating, and some stuff's going to come out about you. And I said, well, What do you mean? He said, Well, back when you were writing this all this stuff, Stanford got really pissed off, and he told us to get some hand grenades, find out where you live, and throw them through the window. And I I didn't know what to say. And he said it was nothing personal. I said, Sergio, I got a wife and two kids. Hand grenades come through the window. It's very fucking very personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the time we got the hand grenades, we were so caught up in the war with Joey Merlino that we stopped looking for it. Wow. So, I mean, that, that and oh I didn't know about it so very much after the fact. I mean, thank God. But that was the only time I had a real problem. And I think it was because, or Gianni, you know, this, Sicilians, it's different over there. Hello. They kill, they kill yeah. judges. They kill reporters. Yeah. And staff had that same mentality. And uh, I was at risk, but didn't know it. And, and thankfully, nothing ever happened. Yeah, thank like God. I said, oh, man. Me. Bruno would tolerate me. The younger guys, the Merlino crew, they liked the attention. So they would, uh, we were each playing one another. You know what I mean? Right. That kind of stuff. Um, but staff was the one time. And that's the one story that I guess is the most personal of anything I've ever done. Wow. And I wrote about that in the one, the, the one book, is The Goodfellow Tapes. I wrote about that. It's, yeah, uh, I. Uh, what are you working on now? I just finished a book with a with a, a another fellow reporter about a, an infamous murder down here outside of Atlantic City. The book's called Doctor Dealer, and this guy was a endocrinologist, very well connected, and his wife was a radio personality, and uh, she wanted a divorce, and he didn't want to give her half of his money, so he hired some bikers the pagan motorcycle club to kill her. It was a pretty infamous case. And the book is told from the perspective of the one biker who cooperated and, and a woman who married the doctor after the doctor killed his wife. She was his old high school sweetheart. And they oh, so he her. did, he did, he did kill her. Well, they the, did kill her. He hired the pagans. They killed her. Yeah. And this woman had been his high school sweetheart. They reconnected and she married him. And then the whole thing plays out and, She's just flabbergasted. So it's it's an interesting book. It's called Doctor Dealer, and it's it's not about the mob at all, but it oh. gives some insight into the biker underworld. They were very big in in uh, the pill mills, this kind of stuff we're talking about. They get scripts and they film and then they sell the stuff. Uh, Has it been published at this time? Oh yeah, yeah, it was published. Unfortunately, it came out in the middle of COVID, so we couldn't do a lot of promotion. I did I yeah, did a yeah. lot of the Zoom stuff, but you know you couldn't go around and promote it. Yeah, it's it's been out about a year. Mm. Doctor Dealer, it's called. It was, it, it was an interesting story to write. So, 
You know, the only other non mob book I wrote was about another murder down in Delaware, a lawyer who killed his mistress and dumped her body in the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, that that's infamous. Yeah, Thomas Capano. Yeah. Yes, yes, Stefano. Yeah. Were, and I, the book I wrote was called The Summer Wind, which was the, the boat they went out on when they dumped his body. So A lot of publicity on that case. Yeah. And then, in, a, in a lot of ways. And then the other story I covered but didn't write a book about was about Rabbi Newlander down in Cherry Hill who hired a hitman to kill his wife. In a lot of ways, Tom Capano, Rabbi Newlander, and this doctor uh, and Dr. Dealer were uh, more despicable than any mob guy. You know what it is? that. They think they're so smart. They think they're smarter than everybody else. That's always, what that's their downfall. Always the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Capano uh took his girlfriend out what a 40 miles at sea or something and she winds up washing up. Uh he put, <laughs> he put her body in a in a in a cooler. One of those big coolers. Yeah. You know, they glow coolers. Yeah. Right. And they dumped the him and his brother, they dumped the body 60 miles out. Yeah. in the Atlantic and it doesn't sink now the brother panics and he's got a shotgun on board and he fires two shots in, in, and yeah. it still doesn't sink so now they bring the thing back on the boat they take her body out of the ice chest Jesus they wrap, they wrap anchors around her and they throw her body in but the ice chest they just throw in the water and it drifts and it drifts and a fisherman discovers it off the Delaware shore and he takes and he says look this is a brand new ice chest it's got a hole in the bottom he takes it he puts some epoxy in it and he uses it to store fish for like a year and a half and then, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. as this case un unravels two of Capano's brothers become cooperators and the one that was on the boat tells the story and he says we did this and the fisherman reads it and calls the FBI. He says, I don't know if this is important or not, but I, I got this ice chest I found. So they go down there. They get the ice chest. There's the bullet holes right where the brother said it was. More importantly, Capano had used his credit card to buy it. Oh, at the store. And, they, and, and that barcode was still on the bottom of, of the thing. Oh, my God. So they linked that. They never, this, was a, this was a case. It was a fascinating case. First degree murder conviction. No murder weapon, no body, no definitive cause of death. But they had that ice chest. Wow. You know, and he, he probably you know, used a credit card to write it off. Well, probably. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, because he was a high, yeah, he was a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And and that probably, that Capano story is the most fascinating crime yeah. story I've ever covered. I a lot it. of publicity. Wow. I, I, whenever it's on, I always watch it. The guy was, was crazy, crazy, crazy. He, he was so full of himself. Yeah, the smiling. Yeah, you know, these guys. That's what I say. I mean, you know, a guy like Bruno or, or Frankie Costello or those guys, they knew who they were, but they weren't in your face about it. These no, guys. No, forget about yeah. it. Whatever they want, you know, and, and screw you. That's The old timers never were in the paper. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah. No. This happened in Jersey, right? The Capano case? Happened in Delaware, but the Delaware. but the the boat when they dumped the body at Stone Harbor, New Jersey. They went out of Stone Harbor, New Jersey, and the boat oh. was the Summer Wind. You know that Sinatra tune. Yeah, wind. yeah. That was the name of the boat, and that's that was the title of the book that I wrote, the Summer Wind. So there's mm -hmm. no death penalty in Delaware, obviously. Well, there was, but it got overturned, and he oh. got he, he got life, and then he died in prison a couple years ago. Jeez, he was eating what? bologna sandwich. I mean, I talked to the <laughs> the family of the woman, and they were happy that he got life. That he would just sit and rot in jail, eating yeah. bologna sandwiches because he was a high liver and all of that crap. Yeah, yeah. 
but he ended up dying in jail. Yeah, oh. A funny thing was, I got sent down to Delaware to cover this. And I show up. And right away, people think it's a mob story because I'm there. And his name is... <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. It's not. But, but that was the assumption. But it, it, the mob had nothing to do with it at all. It was just a despicable family. Wow. wow. Especially Tom you Cassidy. know, I'm surprised that never got picked up by Hollywood. Yeah, that, that's uh, a great story. There were, four, great story. There, were, the, there were four books written about this. Yeah. And there was a telemovie based on Ann Rules. I don't know if you know Ann Rules. Ann Rules, sure. Yeah, she yeah. wrote a book about it, and she got the telemovie. Mark Mark oh. Harmon, I think, played Capano. But yeah, I, I, thought be, I thought it would be a great movie. It's, it's a, yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. the same thing with this Dr. Dealer. It's, it, it's, it's a guy that's got everything going for him and literally thinks he can get away with murder. Too smart. Yeah. For his own, for his own good. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, that's, again, I mean, it's, it's, it's comical. Yeah. And this guy, the, the doctor, James Kaufman, in this Dr. Dealer case, he gets indicted and arrested with the biker facing murder charges, and he hangs himself in jail. So he doesn't even go to trial. He committed suicide. Oh, and wow. he left like a six-page suicide note where he denied any involvement. It's a very, very twisted story. Like wow. I said, it, you know, the, these guys are more despicable than the wise guys I've written about, I think. Yeah, yeah Luke's know who they are, and they know who they are. Yeah, yeah. So That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So that's, I What's mean, your project, George. Pardon? What's your current project? Now, right now, I'm looking for another project. I, I think the stuff is pretty much played out. I mean, it's, I don't think there are anything new stories there. Um, I'm talking to a couple of people about maybe trying to do some scripts. I haven't, I've written a couple of scripts that have gone nowhere, but, you know, yeah. it's, there's so many platforms now. There's so many different people looking for content that maybe something will happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're a fascinating storyteller. Thank you. Yes, I can absolutely. listen to you for hours. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in the newspaper business. I don't think the business exists the way I grew up, and it. it's just different. And I grew up reading Jimmy Breslin and Pete Hamill. Oh, yeah. You know, Jimmy yeah. Breslin. You know, but yeah. There's a certain rhythm and a cadence to writing, and you don't have to make it complicated, you know? Simple declarative sentences and just tell the story. And like I said, these stories are so good. You can't make them up any better than they are. No, that's and, that's and, good uh, news. And like you said, the the, the heyday of, of the mob with these, you know, the flamboyant Gotti's and the, the scarfos and uh, those days are gone. I mean, who do you write about now? Yeah, that exactly. anybody's going to recognize? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think I think the story that's sitting out there is is Russian organized crime, but it doesn't have a face yet. I think we we got to wait like one more generation until they become more Americanized and. And get into, <laughs> you know the celebrity stuff, but the Russian organized crime is is out there doing a lot of crap. Oh, I don't know much about. We Even the Albanians, hello. Well, pick one of those Eastern European countries, and and there's interesting groups out there doing stuff. We they don't have a face. You know right. who's the John Gotti of of Albanian organized crime? There probably is one, but we don't know who it is. Right. You know, I've been doing some research on Indian organized crime, uh, East Indian organized crime. There's the. Uh, the, you know, the mafia there is called B Company, B as in boy. It's like the military, you yeah. know, but it's, it's a very active. They control an awful lot. Nobody knows anything about them. Nobody knows who runs it. Uh, I think they learn by other people's past mistakes. They operate in cells. Yeah. You so know, which is a smart thing to do. 
I, I think that's what the Russians do. That's what they should be doing anyway. I mean, uh, but they're all over Brooklyn, Coney Island. But like you said, there's no face to it. How are you going to write anything about it? Because nobody has an interest. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Michael Franzese got involved with the Russians in that gasoline. Yeah, with the gas thing. Oh, yeah. 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 You try to write about that. It's economics. It's just put people to sleep the way that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why Michael, you know, he's on everything. He has no. It's it's like you're saying it's it's boring. They want they want the action. They don't want. Oh, I I figured out how to beat the state out of income tax. That's not that's not interesting. (laughs) So I mean, that's I think he's finding that out, too, unfortunately. He's making his rounds on every show there is. Well, he's out there. Sammy Gravano's out there now. Oh, they're all out there. Yeah, it's it's a brand. Now it's become a brand. And not would you believe? I mean, if thirty years ago, if somebody was to go up to Sammy and say, "Hey, Sammy, one day you're going to have a thing called a podcast," <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, he would have shot him right there. <laughs> he loves it though. He I mean, talks. I tell you, he talks and talks and talks. He'll go for an hour and a half. I, I just it. I just don't understand why people are tuning in, to be honest with you. Because it's Sammy the Bull. They want to, yeah. it's, it's, it's the old mob, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's when they ran things. They ran the city, the, inter, the infighting and, uh, you know, but I'm just talking about now, now it's dull. I, yeah. I never thought I'd be saying that. No, I think that's true. I think part of this, the, you know, Americans have always been fascinated with the outlaw. Billy, yeah. Oh my Day. God, Bogard, yeah. Cagney—they made careers out of it. Exactly. And 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 when we did the Godfather thing, that's what we were talking about. It was, you know, the Godfather kind of reestablished that genre that had existed. Oh my God, the, the glamour of it all. Yeah. And and uh, now it's, you know, I think Johnny and I talked about it. The Godfather movie was almost a training film for some of these young guys. They oh, even you know, Gotti—they all watched it for that. Yeah. They well, learned how to dress. They, they got rid of their their, their running suits and <laughs> sneakers. Yeah. Kissing on the cheek. And, and, it was good for the tailors in New York. <laughs> and the shirt makers. <laughs> well, George, thank you so much for giving us your time, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. Enjoy talking to all of you. No, you. and uh, if you have anything you want to talk about, let us know, man. You're not to get in touch with us. Absolutely. Because so basically... I mean, the title of our podcast is Hollywood Godfather. It's been working where we have like 160 hours up already. God bless you. That's good. Correct. No. All right. Thank you. George, it was nice right, thank you, you for I, coming I, on. You're, Great you're, talking you're to you. You're a storyteller. You know, it, yes. something that's going to be a George Anastasia one-man show on Broadway, I can see it. I can see it just, now in life. Just the last name alone. <laughs> right? Anastasia sings or talks. <laughs> no, <there> you <laughs> thank you, George. Thank right, you thank so you much. much. Thank you, right. George. Right. Good night. Good night. Right. We'll be right back. We've got to make some money with a commercial. Then we're going to the mailbag. And mailbag. Don't go nowhere. We know where you are. Welcome, everybody. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family. 
by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, uh, the opportunities that you could take advantage of, like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and we'll have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. All right, we're back. And this is one of my favorite parts of our shows and broadcasts, hearing what all of you want to talk about, ask us questions, and even give us ideas to do shows. So keep the letters, cards coming in, or emails, however, however you transmit to our little uh, executive producer. Megan. Smoke signals. We, right. we will accept smoke signals. There you All go. of the above. Okay. First is from Jeremy. Jeremy says, Johnny, you have an incredible storytelling ability and obviously have a lot of great things to tell. That being said, do you have a favorite story to tell about your life? That's so many. There's different categories. Yeah, how do you categorize that? Well, the good news is that maybe you haven't heard, but we have a rap album out with 12 amazing stories that haven't been heard. I think my favorite on that cut is the tragic ending of Marlon Brando. Yeah, for those uh, people who, who uh, don't, don't know exactly what the format is, uh, there are 12 chapters in uh, Gianni's book, and there are 12 songs, and it takes you through his entire life in hip-hop. And it's a unique form of hip-hop. You, you have to check it out. It's uh, definitely worth it. And that's two old geezers telling you about hip hop. There you go. <laughs> we are now we are now experts. That is true. Yes. Uh, next next is... year with a ballet. We're gonna learn everything. <laughs> there you go. Never too late for that. Never All right. too late. <laughs> next is from Linda. Linda says, Patrick, I'm so fascinated by all things police and law enforcement. Do you have any particularly wild stories about your time in the NYPD? You know, I wish I would have had that question in advance. I mean, there are so many stories. And people always uh, ask me, when are you going to write your own memoir? I'm not. I like writing other people's stories. But, you know, I, I'm going to answer that question next week. So listen in. I'm going to have to pick out the, the uh, cream of the crop because we have quite a few. Yeah, well, write that down All for right. yourself, too, so you remember. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll answer that question. Uh, what was her name or his name? For, for Linda. Linda, okay. I'm gonna answer. I'll also you. make a, a note of it. I can I can prompt it for you again. Yeah, please week. do. And I, I have yeah, to of course. Of, I got a thousand stories running through my head. I'll pick you out a good one. Perfect. Love to hear that. All right. Next is from Harrison. Harrison says, Gianni, how often do you meet up with your organized crime friends who are still around? Do you ever feel concerned being with them in public because of cameras always being everywhere these days? That's a good question. Well, I really only have one that I see just out of total respect. He's been a good friend of mine, and I'll even mention his name because that's uh, who he is. It's Tony Federici, known as Tough Tony, and he owns a great restaurant. So I love going to there just to eat, <laughs> called Parkside in Corona. And he's very visible, and uh, he's really, I mean, a gentleman's gentleman. Don't get him mad. 
That's the only guy I bother with yet. Oh, no, I mean, there's another guy in Chicago, too, but, you know, he's more frequent. He lives here, and I talk to him regularly. Got it. All right. Next is from Kyle. Kyle says, Gianni, what's the update on your clothing line? Do you have an estimated time that it will launch? Great question. And, yes, now that they've cleaned up a lot of things and opened up Spain and places that I've been dealing with with my clothing— we should be up, and I'm saying should be because if they close down again, I don't know why. Next month, March, you could go on La Cosa Mia by Gianni and start ordering the spring line. Because the winter line, obviously, we're not going to sell this year. We're put keeping it in the warehouse. <laughs> but thank you for asking. La Cosa Mia. Listen, La Cosa Mia. By, the, by the time people are listening to this, it'll be mid-March. You think it'll be... Oh, yeah. It should be up. Good. Oh, yeah. Great. Go online. La then Cosa perfect. Mia. We'll remind Gianni. everyone. Please. Thank you. Okay. Next is from Daniel. Daniel says, Gianni, did you ever get to meet Audrey Hepburn? If so, what was she like? I, I met her casually, but not to get to know her. So I couldn't say. You know what I mean? We were in mixed company with a lot of people that were more important than me. And obviously, she was not going to pay attention to me. So I did meet it and have no opinion. All right. Also from Daniel, he says, aside from Marilyn Monroe, who was your favorite old Hollywood actress to hang out with? Oh, my God, so many. I, 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 I love Pamela Mason. I used to drink with her. She's totally insane. Got to know her really well. And, uh, but, I mean, oh, there was Shirley MacLaine. There was so many people. Julia Prowse, Ava Gardner. I mean, there's a classic woman as far as real old Hollywood. And, but, you know, my love of my life what, was the time I spent with Marilyn. In fact, that's the subject of our new book. Yes, it is. What is the name of the book? Did you come The up Diary. With? That's, that, that's the working title. Oh, I like it. Yeah. But thank you for asking that question. Yes. All right. Last one I have for tonight is from Brendan. Brendan says, Gianni, I've heard some people say that you grew up in Staten Island and not Mulberry Street. What do you have to say to that? There was a confusion with that a lot because I used to go there and hang out. And just following my life story, my grandfather, my grandmother, everybody moved there. But any free minute that I had would be, first of all, with Costello doing my business. And uh, I did some spend some time there, a lot of time there, and got involved with a nightclub on Staten Island also that I don't want to talk about. But uh, there's so many rumors about me, but, you know, it's uh, nobody really knew what I was doing because I couldn't let anybody know because I was reared by the old school that this is a secret organization and you don't talk about it. So what anybody wanted to say, I did, a, you know, let them talk about it. Go. I'm there. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have time for tonight. All righty then. Well, we thank all of you again. Tell your friends. If you're enjoying it, especially tell your friends. Write more cards and letters and give us stuff to talk about and even create a show about so I thank you. I'm sure Pat, good night. Good night, everybody. It was a great show. Good Megan, night, everyone. Thank you, my love. Always. Good night, guys. Woo!
If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.